Uh, as you can tell, I'm not Mark, um, but man, I have such an honor and a privilege to introduce to you one of my great friends. Uh, he was actually my youth pastor growing up. I've known him since I was 14 years old. Um, such an amazing guy. He spoke to our students yesterday about living uh, rent-free, what it means to li have Jesus live rent-free in your mind, and uh, I am so encouraged and so thankful that he's here this morning, so I want to introduce you to Mark. Church, how we doing? Good, good. And then those who aren't doing, just get to doing, okay? Uh, it's good to see you. It was funny. To, I didn't even notice in the first service, the theme for kids' service was uh, fake an, like fake an injury. Is that right? Like, so like, don't be that parent that's like tripping your kid on the way out just so they can be hurt. You're like, fine, I get an excuse to have them hurt before they go to church. No, don't be that weirdo, okay? Uh, but it's good, it's good to see you, and I know we don't know each other, uh, but it is always an honor and a privilege to open the holy word of God that contains so much power that we can't even begin to wrap our hearts and heads around how it impacts us when you lean into it. And so... Uh, I am, a little bit about me real quick, uh, the 8 o'clock service, they kind of got the like 50% caffeine kick in, now I'm 100%, right? I'm ready, I'm good, I'm awake, so uh, we're going to go three hours, okay? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just, so, uh, but um, no, we, uh, I'm from Florida, and so I know, uh, I don't know if that means anything to you, if you like me or hate me more now, but um, born and raised in Jacksonville, anybody ever been to Jacksonville? Okay, so um, Jacksonville's home of the incredible Jaguars, at least this year, if you follow football. And so if you're a fantasy football guy, you know, it's, it's a good year. But uh, home, of the, home of the Jaguars, home of a lot of things. And then uh, I spent 10 years in Texas. So I had to go all the way to Texas to find my bride. And so uh, she's actually watching right now. So shout out to my wife and kids. And so um, they just, uh, it's kind of a crazy story, but youth ministry has affected like every part of my life. As a, as a kid and then get into student ministry, um, I, I'm one of five kids, so if you come from a big family, I was number four. So you know, you kind of get, once you're number four, your parents don't care as much. You get away with more. <laughs> and so you kind of learn from your older siblings. And uh, so I got to see them go through youth. And uh, I, once I got into student ministry, it just impacted me greatly. And uh, it taught me a lot. It taught me one, that um, Jesus is constant and people aren't. And I say that because I had five youth pastors in, in seven years, or maybe four and a half youth pastors, however it works out. And so, uh, but it wasn't that I never, I never got disappointed in the Lord, never got mad at them. God would move them and call them and uh, just a new opportunity. And it, it kind of challenged me to grow uh, in my leadership ability. And so uh, my youth pastor in high school was a Texan. So he moved back to Texas after a couple of years because he knew he had to be in his home country. Because if you're a Texan, man, if you talk to a Texan, Texas is the best. And so, uh, so my wife is a Texan. She's from Waco. Give it up for the Gaines family, Magnolia, David Koresh, whatever you know about. And so, so they are, uh, so that's where she's from. Um, so we fell in love via a a trip where he brought, my former youth pastor brought students to Florida to visit some colleges and stuff, and they stopped by the church. And I saw what is now my wife, I saw her there, and uh, she laid eyes on me and just couldn't help herself. And so that's how it worked out. So 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So she's watching and she can't, she can't argue with it. So, but, so we, um, you know, we long distance dated. And if anybody ever long distance dated, I'm like, right? That's different. It's fun. And so when I realized I was going to be my wife, I, I told my dad, you know, going to go Old Testament style, going to go work for my wife, going to go on. I actually, her grandparents took me in because I was the goober that left everything behind and just went to Texas and assumed everything was going to pan out at 21 and uh, got there. And not everybody wants to hire a 21-year-old that's not done with college and has zero experience. So I was working on college, got to work. Uh, actually, was talking to Bill and Ron about this. Bill uh, has horses. I got to experience miniature horses. Uh, 40-some-odd horses. That was my job. My rent was to take care of horses to earn my wife. And so that was my rent till we could get married. So if you know anything about miniature horses, they serve no purpose. They're, they're, <laughs> they're pointless. I mean, little kids can ride them. If you have miniature horses, I mean, let's be real. You know that's true. So uh, we, we got married. Uh, we ended up, long story short, we were in uh, Texas for 10 years doing ministry, and God led us to the kind of the cool connection with Austin is that God led us to a church in the south side of Dallas in 2011. And uh, I was so, I don't know if I've ever gotten away from my Florida roots the same way you wouldn't get away from your roots probably if you've been in it long enough. So I actually got made fun of a lot because I was the flip-flop and shorts guy. It's just the way I operate. I very rarely wear shoes. These shoes are probably 10 years old and they probably look new because I just don't wear shoes. So I wear flip-flops. And I learned my lesson last night at the camp because we had rain, and then with rain comes weird mud, and then comes a fall, and you're embarrassed. And, you know, nobody's watching, but I feel still, felt embarrassed. But uh, so, yeah, I served there. I got to see a lot of students do incredible things for the Lord over the years. And uh, I'll tell you what, church, one thing is encouragement for all of you, uh, I would say, is, uh, you know, God calls us to... Uh, persevere and be faithful because the reason being if he just said hey like this is about instant gratification and like wouldn't that be so much easier but that's not what God calls us to he calls us to be faithful and persevere and uh you know lead weirdos like Austin to Jesus and follow him and stuff so so now I have um multiple students over the years that are pastors some are missionaries and uh you know it's just neat to see what God's doing and got the opportunity to speak to some of his students yesterday and just kind of give you an idea of what we talked about was just learning how to let your mind be consumed by who God is and the power of his word. Uh, you know as well as I do, and this isn't just students, by the way. I think we kind of blame it all on them. But we are in a culture, we are, we are absolutely inundated and overwhelmed with information, with uh, commercial, commercialization of things and so there's all kinds of things being pushed on us. Is that fair to say? And so, um, and I don't know if I'm preaching to the saints and the sinners or the sinners and the saints. So you tell me, right? So I'm, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's a cool setup. I like it. So when we, when, uh, you know, we think about that, God calls us to be transformed. And he says to be the renewing of your mind. It's like when we are saved, we have been justified because of who Jesus is. But then God calls us to continue this process of, in some versions it says being saved. It's not like you don't have salvation, but it's being sanctified. It's being, looking more like Jesus till the day you're fully glorified. So uh, it's, it's cool because I kind of, 
it's neat to see the growth in your church. I, I think some, some people have told me they've been here a long time. If you've been here a brief time, it seems like there's been a lot of growth and a lot happening. And uh, I made the joke earlier, there's like, I, don't, I guess I'll tell it again because it's, it's funny. But I, I think it's funny. If you don't think it's funny, then whatever. But I, I read a story, and I don't know if the, I think it's true. You've probably heard it, some of you. But uh, you guys had talked about a new building, and, or you're eventually going to get a new building, or maybe you'll go to 10 services. I don't know. I come from a church where we kept growing, and our aspiration was to have a new building. Well, we got to four services before we even got our building. So you're only at two, right? <laughs> So you got a lot you can still do in this building. So uh, we, we would pack it out. The building's almost done after so many years. And um, I, I read this story of where <laughs> these two brothers, maybe they're from Alito. Let's just say they are. So maybe one of them's in this church. I don't know. Um, they they just, just ran amok. They just had a bad reputation. They would, uh, they would just get in trouble. The, just everything they did was wrong. And everybody knew that, like, okay, this is, these dudes are bad. But they were wealthy. So money and bad doesn't go well together a lot of times, right? But they also, to make themselves feel good, they would give large sums of money to the church. Whatever, right? So they, uh, these guys had a reputation. They're grown. And then one of them suddenly dies. And he goes to the pastor, which here, you know, go to Pastor Luke and say, Hey, my brother, you know my brother's reputation. But it's, if I've got a big check, and it's made out to cover your entire new worship center. So I feel like this is really appropriate for y'all's church. And so he said, the only thing I ask is that when it comes time to preach his funeral, you just say that he was a saint because he had a horrible life and a bad reputation. So if the pastor does that, that pastor's lying, right? So the pastor thought about it, he prayed about it, and then he came to a conclusion that he could do it. And so he went and deposited the check. The church is paid for, essentially, and he gets at the priest at the funeral and says, you know, and by, to, the, to the brother that's alive, to his shock, he starts out with saying, the man that lays before us was a sinner. He was jacked up, had a bad personality, and uh, man, horrible reputation, but compared to his brother, the guy was a saint, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I was like, man, that's good. Like, I can use that now, right? So it's just being smart, right? And so uh, I don't know if that's going to happen for Pastor Luke. Maybe it will. But, uh, you know, I don't know. But I thought that was funny coming into the situation you guys are in with your church. I was like, all right. So you can do both. You can uh, tell the truth and still get that building paid for. So, um, but uh, if you'll take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, this is a story that needs some explanation of context. You know, all the Gospels. Uh, due to some degree, and everything Jesus did, still does, is with purpose. And uh, I was thinking and praying for you guys on, on my way from Florida. I prayed real hard driving through Chicago, especially. That just really increased my prayer life. And, uh, and so got out of there safely. And uh, so, um, yeah, this, this part of the gospel, it's unique because a lot of times we think about if, if we're not careful, if you have kind of a church history, you'll take Peter and put him on a pedestal to where he's like the rock. His name means that, but we're talking about a, something a little bit different here uh, when it comes to the Lord. So uh, Matthew 16, verse 13, and if you'll follow along with me, it says this. 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? This is not out of confusion, by the way, or of a lack of knowledge, but it's to challenge their thinking and their growth. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, uh, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? It's... The world says a lot of things about God, do they not? Okay, so he's asking, okay, follower of me, of Jesus, who do you say I am? And to no surprise, Peter speaks up, and uh, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, uh, Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So we'll stop there, and I'm going to give you a little bit of context to help you out. So uh, explain a little bit who I was, and this. I feel like the sermon was as much for me as anybody because of what I've uh, seen God do in my life in the last year or so. Uh, vocationally, I've been in full-time ministry as a pastor since I was 22. And so I've uh, been in 18 years of full-time ministry. And uh, the, see, I got to a season of life. And uh, look, let's just be real. We, life can be exhausting and you can burn out, right? I don't care what you do. What, what field of work or what role of ministry, uh, there's a lot of times we can do things, even ministry, in our own power without the Holy Spirit's help. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now, I, w- I don't feel like I was doing that completely, but I got so tired of doing so much that God had to kind of reel me back in and say, Mark, who do you say I am? Because right now you're tired. Like, don't bail on me because it's hard. And so, uh, through, through the, for a lot of amazing days, a lot of years in ministry, there's some days, isn't it funny how the hard days seem to like trump the, the good days? You're, you're like, it's just the way we work. We focus on the negative and it kind of overpowers all the good things. So I was kind of getting there and I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? And um, I, have a fam- I have a family and I've got three kids. Uh, and so... I have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 3-year-old because we like to just mess things up. You know, we just like to have a big break. And uh, so with that being said, God just kind of shook my whole life up. He's probably done this a lot of you and said, you know what, if, if he could have spoke audibly almost, it was like, look, I'm gonna, you're going to be in ministry. It's not going to look like you want or what you prefer or what you've known. I said, okay, Lord, what does that look like? So on a I, on, the, on the most spiritual way level I can tell you and how it sounds coming out, it sounds funny, but I, I love to fish because the disciples did. You know, I'm, I don't know. I just love to fish. And I'm in Florida. So you've been to Florida. There's a lot of fishing to be had, and there's fishing here. And so uh, I love to fish, and I love people, and I love to talk to people about Jesus. And so in the craziest thing, I always kind of aspired to do something with fishing and reach people. Um, and so God called me out of vocational ministry to evangelize. Well, as you know, everything to live now takes something called money. And so the Lord gave me an opportunity to do something to provide for my family. And I, I went to back 
I have a degree, but I went back to school, captain school, to get my captain's license. So now I'm, a, I'm, I'm Pastor Captain Mark, right? So uh, I'm a fishing captain. So I have a charter business where I get to take people out, and they have fun and fish, and I get to entertain them, like poor people. <laughs> and so I get to take them out. And, and the cool part about all this, I say that it, in no way to brag, but just to brag on God, because I didn't see it, nor did I have the faith to see it come to pass. I was like, Lord, that, okay, that sounds really cool. And, and neat and an opportunity I've kind of dream, dreamt of. And, and then when he started doing it, just like God does things, it's literally, you can't avoid it like you try to. And I tried to interview at different churches and move around, and I just didn't feel like God was calling us to it. And he, it was a, he clearly said, no, you're called to this city. You're not called to a church building or a church family. You're called to this city. And so our city, where I live, is, is a very... Uh, big melting pot of people. It is not the southern Florida part of Florida that's, that I grew up in. And so I'm, I am the rare breed to be a Floridian. Uh, lots of people from the Northeast and Russia and, and, and you name it, Cambodia, Haiti, and Puerto Rico. And so it's not uncommon to experience that. So the Christian population is very, very small. And I live in what I thought was a small town until they told me otherwise. But there are about 100,000 people. And I grew up in Jacksonville, where there's a million plus, and lived in Dallas, where there's millions, and went to Palm Coast, and it was like, it was just so tiny. And uh, then I came to Alito, and I was like, oh, I see what they meant. So, like, <laughs> so, but I love it. It's a beautiful area. And uh, so, with that being said, I, I realized, like, what can I do to be in the culture and talk to people about Jesus in a way that they're not going to come into a church building? And I, just as a reminder, we're the church, Right. This, is not the, this building is not the church. And our verbiage in America, you know, we've kind of gotten used to saying like, hey, like, uh, like, go to church. This is church. And it's like, well, this is a worship service for the church. Essentially, the weekends where the pastor preaches and the worship is saying, that's a rally for believers to cry out to a God who's so good. So when you leave here, you're just energized to go live out the gospel in your life. So there's very few that are, and Pastor was just talking about this in his class, not everybody's called to teach on, on a stage or, or, or lead in a certain way, but everyone's called to be a minister of the gospel. Everyone's called to witness in, their, in the way God has equipped you to do so. So like my wife would be terrified. I told her, she would not want to be up here speaking, but she's an incredible singer, so she could sing. She'd sing something to you, right? She could sing the welcome to you. She just wouldn't say it. But it's like we're not all wired the same. In fact, some of us are introverts. And if you look at the disciples and their personalities, they were all so different, right? And so Jesus did that, I think, partly because he knew he didn't need the, these big, vocal, large personality kind of influencers. He needed people that would trust him, that were willing. And in spite of who they were, he'd still use them. And so when you look at the context of this passage this is, this is amazing to me because God, he's so strategic. And when God led me to do what I was doing, he's like, Mark, look, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and know that I'm going to put you in a place that's uncomfortable, but it's still going to, it's going to challenge your questioning of who I am in your life. And then I'm going to show you who I am. So if I could call it anything today is that it's who do you say God is. If I were to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee, because that's important, we've got to have coffee. And, and I asked you, hey, like, like one-on-one, -on -one, who is God to you? And what is your answer right now? Like what comes to mind? Is he a higher power? 
Is he a being that exists? Is he, is he the cosmic Santa Claus? Is, is he the one that's the lifeguard in hard times? Or is he, is, is he God all the time? I love, I love that song that Josh and the team sang about worthy. I mean, because it's written out of a, I think, a heart's cry from a tough time. And, and if you've ever sat by the hospital bed of somebody, right, can I get a witness on that? Like, that's tough, right? And, and you're seeing somebody leaving this life, and you're like, man, the tears are there. You feel them, and I just experienced that church. And so I feel like it's raw for me, like, to see, like, my, my grandmother, who was the matriarch of her family, the spiritual giant. Like, I felt like she'd lived to be 120. I says last year. And, like, just all that she, she was just so incredible. And for, for out, of just out of the blue, I felt like, it, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. And she goes in sick, uh, just having some pneumonia of sorts, to find out she has stage four lung cancer. And they gave her three months to live, and she lasted a week and a half. And it was like talking about gut-wrenching. And I mean, I don't even, you can't prepare for that. You can't, you, there's no way to mentally prep for that. So when I sat by that hospital bed, like that song says, and you're like, He's worthy. When you hear that, when the tears are coming, he's worthy. So I, I think I'd be foolish to think we're not going through stuff in this church, that you're not going through hard times. Some of you, it's not death you're dealing with. It's anxiety. It's fear. Been there and done that. Burnout, had panic attacks, you name it. That's just being real. And you're like, man, am I dying? And you're like, nope, I'm just, just freaking out. Or maybe you're stressed out because finances aren't there. Been there too. Or, or you're bitter because somebody's hurt you and you just don't know how to forgive like God says to forgive, right? I don't, by the way, we don't forget. We're human. We do, are all, we're called to forgive, though. And, but to forget, I mean, that's a God kind of level. And so a lot of us say, oh, just forgive and forget. Well, that's hard to do. God can work through you in that. But the reality is there's a lot of things God's saying. Who do you say I am? Because I'm calling you to something. And it's in Alito. So, so he says here, Here's the context of what he tells him when he's asking him about who do people say I am, just as if you were to ask this today. Caesarea Philippi, this massive influential place mixed with all kinds of belief systems in different races, from Greeks to Romans to Jews. They're at this place. It's a crossroad of a major road about 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, and it's at the foot of Mount Hermon. This is important to know. It's the largest mountain in any direction for 500 miles. So for 500 miles away, you can see this mountain very clearly. And Jesus asked this question at the base of this place where the gods that they, one being Caesar Augustus, that would bring peace to the Roman Empire, had the nickname of the Prince of Peace. Who, also, who else has that name? Jesus, right? So they're, under, they're looking for a Prince of Peace. They're looking for one to give them the answers. They're looking for one to like... Okay, what do I do in this situation? They would make sacrifices. They would throw things in the water to see if it would sink or float to get answers to life. And so all these kind of wild things, you're like, this seems so weird and different. Is the, the religious mentality of our world today is weird and different, right? They, well, we're weird and different to the world. But if you look at the world's belief system, it's all over the place. Is that fair to say? Why is it? Because when we're lost, it's exactly that we're lost. And you look at someone that's lost in life, they search and they wonder and they, they grab at anything that hopefully gives them the answer. And man, it's hard. 
And until you are on the other side of it, till you come to know Jesus and you are no longer blind, you, have, you see clearly what God has shown us to be our purpose. You're like, wow, like, okay, man, how, I'm, I'm, maybe we're just a little hard on the lost man in the sense that we assume they should live a certain way and why should they? They're lost. Remind yourself of who you were before you know Jesus, especially if you got saved later in life. That you were lost, you didn't like God, you thought it was foolish, and here God's planted First Baptist of Alito in this strategic location, whether you've ever realized this or not, to influence, to be this, this mountain from a 500-mile view. And what I'm saying is, because if we were to, in our culture today, you take this story and Jesus sits down with us and says, hey, uh, I'm not going to build the church. I'm not going to reach people in the way you would assume. Because our, our life, because of our culture, especially in our Western world, in America, we're wired for convenience, are we not? I mean, how fast can we get fast food? I mean, so fast now, I went through a Dunkin' the other day on the way to the airport because that's what you do when you eat healthy. I went through a Dunkin' Donuts. And I, and I was going through the, the drive-thru, and there was a drive-thru lane and another drive-thru lane, but the second one was for pre-ordered mobile orders. I was like, man, we are living in fast, fast forward, right? You don't just go to the drive-thru because that takes too long. I'm going to order it on my phone and drive up and expect it to be ready. Like, we're in a culture of convenience, and if we're not careful, that mindset will carry over into our Christianity, and God said, hang on a second. That's not the way I work. He said, so I'm going to tell you something's going to blow your mind. If you, if you could take yourself back to the disciples, you remember, they already freaked out about a lot of stuff. They're like, what are you doing? Like, everything you're doing is making us uncomfortable. He's like, right, because my ways are what? Higher than your ways. What I do is better than what you can do. And so, and I get to be in a lot of churches, and I see where if we're not careful, no matter what state I've been in, we get comfortable with the good. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, it's great to have an incredible worship center. It's great to have a place to sit. And it's, uh, AC is amazing, right? And if we're not careful, though, we will size up our, our Christian experience on a weekend service and how, what the pastor said or what the song was. And that's our Christianity. We become critics instead of worshipers. I heard one guy say one time, he said, don't, be careful not to jump to conclusions. Instead, jump to opportunities. Don't be the one that sits on the bench and criticizes or the one in the stands saying, oh, I could do it better. We're like, you know, we're the refs or we're the fans watching the football team saying, oh, this guy's a loser. He makes $80 million. He's so bad. And while we're at home, could never do it. We're just jealous. Let's be honest. But it's like we become critics of our own Christianity, become critics of our own worship experience. And God's saying, hang on a second. I'm, I put you in a place to where you're a beacon of light. You're, you're in a place where, for whatever reason, God has put you in this place for this moment in history to influence. And so, from a global perspective, we're like, well, there's a lot of people that can do the work of the ministry. But God, when he called you unto salvation and brought you out of darkness into this marvelous light, he, he said, man, it, like for us to be able to celebrate who God is, we should go out of here. If, if, if you can't be as fired up for Jesus, right, as you are for your football team, we've got issues. Our priorities are out of whack. I was challenged this past week. It's, it's some
somebody said something about like if you're if you as a parent can't sing Jesus is doing in your life like you celebrate your kid playing a sport then you probably should re-examine your heart and your priorities and I was like man calm down with your Christian talk all right because I was like that's hard because I love sports and my son plays basketball right I might get out there and just whip somebody and I celebrate him when he wins challenge him when he loses but if we're not careful, all these worldly things that are temporary become our obsession to where we all of a sudden we're to the point of life where we were like, holy cow, I don't want to live with regrets as a Christ follower. Now, we can't undo what, what's happened in the past, but we sure can like, defeat this, this lie of, well, you've already gotten to this point. There's, there's no point. There's no point in kind of living for Jesus now. There, the only, you, there's not anywhere in Scripture where you're going to find that you retire from your Christianity. And one of the greatest saints was my grandma. She loved Jesus till the day she got to see him face to face. And as she was so, so ready. And it, it's, only, it's that kind of peace that only comes when you're that person. And I got to kind of lay my head by her and listen to a song. There's a song called Endless Praise by Charity Gale. And it just simply starts with, I can't wait for eternity. And just to sing. And I was like, man, could we imagine? Like, we can't wait for eternity. But I'll tell you what, there's a whole lot of people. I hope they've got more time. Because they need Jesus. So I wish I had more time. I could talk to you all day about this and the examples of what God's done in people's lives, and you could too. But from the good times, in fact, that's probably the easiest time. When God says, hang on, like, I'm telling you this because it's uncomfortable to hear, but I'm going to put you in a place where it may be hard, but I'm telling you because of your faith, God says, I'm going to put you... I establish my kingdom where I feel it's necessary, not where you prefer. And then he tells us, another point would be this, that God, when we pursue God, we know God more, we love God more, and we start to look like Jesus more to people. Again, in Sunday school this morning, it was that point. It's like oftentimes people just see your faithfulness and say, what's different about you? You lost a family member, you've lost this, or you're struggling with this, but why are you, you're the mainstay in your life because there's something different about you and his name is Jesus. We discredit the power of God, this miracle working God who did so much and he literally parted a sea. He walked on water, this Jesus did. He has healed many and all of a sudden he doesn't get that credit in the world we're living in. This is the same God. And we sing about that. And so when I see and encounter so many believers, and this is myself included a lot of times, I'm like, okay, God, like you're, if you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, man, I, I need you today. And sometimes it's like, well, we, you know, God gives peace, right? But when does he give peace? When times can be tough. When does he give you that, that spirit of, of boldness? It's when you're challenged. It's not in all the easy times. Because this life is full of trials and tribulations, and you will have joyful moments and celebrate those and, and praise God for them. But just don't be that kind of person that says, I'll praise God and I'll love God. And when he says, who do you say I am? And the Spirit of God reveals that just like he told to Peter, you say you are God. And then he says, okay, I'm God now, but it's easy. But what happens when it gets hard? And you still say you're God. So for those in here that have... You've, maybe you've lost a kid, and you're like, man, what in the world? There's no recovering from that. One of my good friends, one of my pastors I served with in Florida, I served with for years, you're talking about, I didn't tell this in the last one because there's so many stories I could tell from when my sister got cancer to 
some of you in here probably might it'd be your testimony too where you lost some babies along the way so i have a 14 a 12 and a 3 for a reason because in that gap there was two little boys my wife carried for a long time and had to deliver and i was like you know when you're sitting in that moment if you're walking with god you're pursuing him you're keeping step with the spirit i don't i don't know that we ever said you know what god i don't like you why you want know to remind me of this is we're in a broken world these these bodies these tents they're falling apart Stuff's hitting them. One day we're going to be fully glorified and it's going to be awesome. But you press on and persevere because God called you to. And God says, hang on, I was, I was God to you yesterday, right? When you signed on that house, you got that promotion or whatever it is. They got your meal right at the restaurant for once. And you thank God for it finally. It's like God's God then, but what happens when it gets tough? What, what then? They say, who do you say I am? Do you say, oh, well, you're God. You've rescued my soul, so I should be able to trust you with my day-to-day. You give me eternity, but with the temporary, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you. And, and it's like, hang on a second. Who am I to you? So eager Peter says, well, you are Christ. Okay, remember that because on this rock, not you, Peter, this rock, this place of paganism, this lost world, I'm going to build my church, and it's going to be so intense, it's going to be so radical that the whole, it's going to be shaken up. People are going to be like, what? Why would you do it here? Because God's going to show that he's God, and there's only one true God. And all these other gods that they thought they could come to, this Prince of Peace that's no longer alive, and he said, no, I'm going to show you the Prince of Peace. So what does he say? We're a body of believers, all with different attributes and giftings. So don't discredit yourself that if God has rescued your soul, he supernaturally worked that out for you, that he says, who am I? And when times get tough, you say, you are God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And I will pursue you no matter what. When God says, will you walk on water with me? You're going to be like Peter. I'll do it. And then at times, you're going to waver, and you're going to see the stuff around you. You see the critics and the comments and the sickness and disease and struggle, and you say, and you start to sink a little, and God instantly, when you call out, grabs you like he did Peter and said, hang on, look, remember, don't, don't waver in your faith. Right now, it's little, but trust me. He said, I've got you. And for some of you, I just feel like I just implore you today and challenge you like it was for me that God said, trust me with everything. Where do we hang on to things tightly? Our money, our health. And when those things are robbed, what do we do? So when I saw the health waiver in family members, I saw the finance in my own life when I left my full-time vocational position to, to go fish, right? But I don't fish. I help people fish, right? And give them a good time. And when those jobs don't come, I'm like, Lord, what do I do? God, literally, I'm telling you, church, months where it was to the penny, I would get checks in the mail from somebody that knew me that I couldn't pick out of a crowd of two that supplied my whole month's salary that I had when I was at a church. Like, that's not a coincidence. That's God saying, look, I'll provide for you, but you've got to trust me in the good and the bad. You've got to know that with this trust and with the reward comes a testimony, and that testimony better be shared. So when you get challenged and the lost man or the lost woman says, I, my, I hate my job. Like, I'm working with a guy right now working on a, building a deck for this, this guy that seems pretty wealthy, and he's and foul-mouthed and angry, and he just doesn't enjoy life. He disconnects by alcohol and weed and all these things. And I'm like, okay, so like he's robbed of, the, he doesn't even have the ability to have the joy I have. And so when you get into the circumstance, the situation, like, man, like, okay, I, I don't have to do those things with him. 
I work with him, but God, I was to this point of like, you ever been so like desperate? You're like, especially with your job, you're like, Lord, okay, I'm in between jobs. I need this. You're like, you're, you're legitimately questioning and it's fair. We're human. Like, Lord, like, what am I going to do? I, I'll do whatever. And so I'll do anything, God. And God's like, fine, I'll give you something. He gave me a job to build a deck right on the water where I should be fishing. I'm like, God has a sense of humor, right? And so I'm building this deck. I don't, mostly I really don't know what I'm doing. I'm like handing the guy stuff and he's calling out measurements. And I'm like, okay, I, don't, I didn't pass math. I'm, I'm bad at that. So we're working it out. And just to show you how the sense of humor I think God has, but the joy he finds in reminding us of who he is, even in, in spite of our disbelief sometimes. Remember what Apostle Paul said? He said, I believe, but help me where I don't. That's a lot of times of how we probably should pray. And God says, here, Mark, go build this deck. And I'm sweating. It's Florida. It's 90 degrees with a million percent humidity. About to drop dead after 10 minutes. And I'm like, okay. I'm hanging out with a guy that's halfway high. I think he's putting the nails in the right spot. And I can't confirm it because I'm not a construction worker. And this, this elderly man walks out of the home and says, hey, he's talking to us. And he finds that I'm a fishing captain uh, and, and a preacher. He didn't care about the preacher part. He, he cared about the captain part because it's, his health is ailing. And he bought this big boat that he can't drive. So I'm need, I need money. I'm building a deck. And he says, man, I, I'd probably, I would like to pay you to captain my boat. Isn't that, I like, I mean, that's like just for me, whatever. But it just reminds you, and it got to remind me in the moment, well, I didn't want to go to this place. I didn't want to build this deck. I didn't want to be here today. I'm just mad. Missed my daughter's volleyball game. Just frustrated. And God's like, here you go. Here's a job from this job that you would want because you just got to stay faithful. Just keep grinding it out. Celebrate the good days. And when he says, who am I? You're able to say, you are God. And no other one is. And, and when he says, who am I? When you're by the hospital bed or when you're at the job or when you're asking why or your kids, everyone of them collectively decided to challenge you that day, right? They got together and said, we are going to take them to their wits end. And you say, God says, the children are a gift from the Lord, right? Blessed is the man whose quiver is full, right? And thank God I have three errors and not 12, whatever. And so, but when you, you're reminded to say, okay, God, you're God. So when my kids see me, they better see Jesus. The, the, when when my, my friends see me, they better see Jesus. When, my work, when, when I'm at work, they better see me. And when I'm in Alito or any other surrounding city, we got to remind ourselves that God said, I'm building my church here, and you better be ready to get uncomfortable. And when you do, and when you trust Jesus, he's going to bring you to a point that's going to blow us all away. And we're going to say, that's the miracle working God. We couldn't do it in our own power. It's a Gideon moment where he's like, I'm not worthy. I can't do this. And God says, no, that's the point. I'm going to do it when you trust me, not when you're putting all your faith and trust in what you see. This is not a sight thing. It's a faith thing. And when you do that, God's going to bless. And I fully believe you are. I fully believe you're getting there and we're going to continue to grow. But I believe there's also a large percentage of people in this area, just like where I live, that need somebody to give them some hope because you say he's God and they don't. And just like somebody loved you enough to tell you about Jesus, I believe you've got to figure out how to love them like Jesus does and says he died for them and loves them just as much as he did for you. It's your Christianity does not produce arrogance. It does not produce pride. In fact, it's the opposite of that. It's love and compassion. It's faithfulness. But it's also truth that needs to be spoken. And that always isn't popular. But still, it can be received when God's in it. Amen?
Let's bow our hearts and heads together. God, we love you. I thank you for your grace. You are so worthy. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that whatever I said gets out of the way and out of our heads and whatever you have chosen to communicate to our hearts, Lord, that it rests heavy. It's heavy on my heart. And Lord, I pray in the best way I know how, Lord, just that we trust you, that you are God and we are not, that when you ask us who uh, do we say you are, that we as Christians, my brothers and my sisters here in this church, and it's so cool that we can say that, living so far apart, that we're all part of the family of God. And Lord, no matter where we're at, you've chosen to put us here, and you have strategically placed us in, in really in a hostile world. But that hostile world is hostile because they know they need you. They just don't want to surrender. And so until that day, help us to stay faithful. Help us to pray. Help us to seek your face and that when people see us, they see you, Jesus. And then we get out of the way where you're wanting to work. So we just love you. I thank you for the staff here, the pastor, the pastors, the leaders of the ministry, and the faithful saints that come each week to worship. So help us to celebrate you. And when we leave today, help us to see with a lens that you see with, Lord. That we look at people as souls and not just people that we encounter daily, but lost souls that need you. So we love you again, and we praise in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen.